All right, guys. Well, you have officially blown up this text message line. So well done. Uh, so my first disclaimer is we are not going to get anywhere close to all of these questions, but thanks for sending them in. In particular, you that was texting me about my lawn. We're for sure not going to talk about that, but it's not great. Just to let you know. But yeah, we've got a wide variety of questions, but we'll stick to the ones not about that. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say as kind of a disclaimer to start is Guys, I think the book of Ecclesiastes genuinely is trying to get us to walk away with more questions than it is giving us like resolution and answers, which is the frustrating part of Ecclesiastes, but also the beautiful part. So these aren't like, we're not going to be able to resolve the tension of the world in Ecclesiastes with a couple quick answers. It's more Drew and I kind of wrestling through the the tension that's inherent in some of these ideas and questions but yeah thanks drew ecclesiastes is super fun and confusing and awesome um okay first question drew what are the ways that you have seen god using this isolation season as a blessing and a good gift to the world well i mean one of the ways is I just walk around my neighborhood and I see dads out playing catch with their sons in the yard, or I see way more people out with members of their family on a walk. So I I even think that people who aren't believers in Jesus would resonate with what we're looking at in Ecclesiastes, and they would say, yeah, just kind of shrinking my life down when all the activities are canceled, when I can't do a lot of the things that I used to be able to do, it allows me to be thankful in a different way for the life that I have. And so that's been really cool for me personally, but also just to observe about the little square inch of land that I live on in the neighborhood that I live in. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I think and talk a lot about how we need space to follow Jesus and need to slow down. And I'm bad, really bad at doing that. And I think a lot of us are, and this forced us to do it. And I've been really thankful for like some ways that I've seen just the space to be with Jesus in a way that's a little bit different. But I think even, even on a bigger perspective, look, God just robbed all of us. He robbed the world of all the things that we're tempted to put our hope and our trust in and showed us how dumb all of those things are in comparison to him. And so guys, I'm, I'm praying that God would produce a movement of the gospel through this, because I think people are hungry for something that, um, is eternal and that can't be taken away in a minute like what we just saw so um yeah so let me let me go to this one drew so if i had to summarize most of the questions coming in they uh a lot of them were about this idea of this whole like not finding pleasure in the world, but enjoying God still. I kind of don't get this. Like, how do you, how do you find joy in the good things God has given you, but not pursue pleasure in things that don't matter? So 
there was a ton on this, so I think it's worth giving a little time to, but let me try and summarize them with this. This, this is one of the questions we got. Um, how do we take joy in what God provides that is good without chasing the wind? Delight in God's good gifts while avoiding disillusionment seems tricky to find. Thoughts? <laughs> yes. I think that that's the tension that Ecclesiastes wants to bring us into. And so it's kind of a dual message, right? That there's an absurdity built into the world because of the fall. So in other words, sin has corrupted everything, including our desires, but the world isn't as bad as it possibly could be. So it's not all bad, and God is still working, he's redeeming, and he's here, and so everything's good and should be received with thanksgiving, and yet we also recognize that good things can easily be turned into God things, can be turned into idols, and we can begin to misuse them, and we can begin to objectify people instead of serving and loving them and being thankful for them. And so I think that you know that you're, you're going in, in the wrong direction when you start to think about and dwell on something more than God himself. So if something becomes more um, occupying to your thoughts, your affections, and um, even your time than God himself, then that thing is probably becoming an idol, which, as I'm saying, if you hear me saying that, and you're like, I have so many idols, well, what I'm mainly saying to you is, me too, and I am very convicted as I'm going through Ecclesiastes. That's what's happening in my own life too. But I think what Solomon would say is actually in seeing the brokenness and absurdity of the world, it detaches us from the world in a helpful way. It, it allows us to see, wait, not all that that shines is is good or is going to satisfy me. And so, man, it is so um, disillusioning because we have been so preoccupied with so many different idols. And so the interesting thing is, if, if you were a truly just glorified, godly saint, you would read Ecclesiastes and you wouldn't be thrown off at all. So the, to the degree that you're thrown off by it is to the degree that you're an idolater. <laughs> you know. that's, that's really good because I, I catch myself saying these things like, oh, Ecclesiastes is crazy or like what's going on? And it's like the problem isn't with Ecclesiastes. The problem is with me. Like Ecclesiastes is beautiful and wise. And when my life is in discord with, with it, I'm the problem. But okay, I, I want you to talk about what you were just saying. So there, there's that temptation towards idolatry, right? And I, I think Christians can ask questions about that a lot of like, how do I avoid 
the temptation to make good things into God things? And, and that's the right question. But I think a lot of people in our church also can have the other temptation of being so afraid of liking good things and so afraid of sort of caring about quote unquote meaningless things that they don't know how to enjoy the good gifts of God. So how do you process that personally in your life? Like you've got a smoker, man, and it's great. And you love smoking meats. Okay. Smokers aren't free. Like how do you make a decision of to purchase something that you enjoy or to pursue a hobby that you enjoy and know the difference between sort of building the American dream and enjoying God for his good gifts. Yeah. I think that, um, I, I mean, I, I don't have it figured out. I don't have a corner on that, on that market, but I, I think that if from the heart, we're able to say, thank you to God and we are using whatever gift it is to honor him, to glorify him, you know, cause, because I take delight in, in my smoker. I mean, last night, you know, it was kind of, I kind of quickly smoked some stuff, but I, you know, I threw some potatoes on there and I made some steaks, made some hot dogs for the kids. And it, it's part of, right, the moment where you're sitting around the table that Ecclesiastes described and, and you're thankful. And so I think there is a ditch. There's the, the poverty mentality ditch, which says that basically asceticism or disconnection from the world is where you find God. But then there's also the ditch of just kind of seeking pleasure and, and not really thinking about it or, or giving consideration to your ways. But I think that a lot of these things are going to come um, to us through our conscience. And so different ones of us are going to feel like it's appropriate for us to own or participate in different things. And so I think as long as we're not, you know, busting through some clear boundary that God has put up in his goodness, then there's a lot of room for us to enjoy life and, and to be thankful for, for what we have. So that's how I think about it. Yeah. There's a, a, a pastor that both Drew and I have been super influenced by that have been, has been working in the city for a long time, John Piper and his kind of catchphrase, God, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I, I think that's so true. Like, if we're talking about a real relationship, the, the way that I honor my wife is through deeply enjoying my relationship with her. That, and so I think that's a little bit odd for us to think about God that way, but that's just true. Things that you love and are amazing, you enjoy deeply. And God made this entire world. So the way that you enjoy him is not this only this abstract spiritual sense, but in a physical sense, like he made creation. So enjoying God through creation is a huge part of what it means to enjoy him. But, but like Drew was saying, there's always this back and forth of 
what are my motives? Do I have mixed motives? Is that actually about God? And the answer is yes, you're always going to have mixed motives, but the solution is not to be able to completely avoid sin and be a perfect person. The solution is to repent of sin when you see it and trust Jesus to be, to, to offer you grace as you figure out what it means to enjoy him in the world. So, okay, Drew, let me, um, let me throw one at you here that I'll just let you answer quick. And then I'm going to look through kind of the remaining ones that have been sent in as we're talking and we'll answer one more and then we'll call it a day. Right. But let me throw this one to you. Um, God doesn't bless us according to our work, but instead by his grace. So that's in, in quotes, where does obedience fit into this statement? Does God bless obedience? So, so let me read it one more time in quotes, God doesn't bless us according to our work, but instead by his grace where does obedience fit into the statement, does God bless obedience? And I would say, yes, he does. He blesses us for our obedience. But the point that this specific passage in Ecclesiastes is making is that maybe not in the way that you would think. So there is a blessing of God's presence. For example, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One of the Beatitudes. So there seems to be this blessing that's attached to pursuing purity. But just a short time after blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, it says blessed are the, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. So it's not a material blessing. It's a spiritual blessing of knowing that you are doing what your heavenly father has asked you to do. And so the point that is being made in Ecclesiastes is just because you obey God doesn't mean that you won't die of COVID-19 or that you won't get cancer or that your child won't die, or that you won't lose your job, or that you won't be persecuted for your faith. And so there's still going to be the normal life things that happen to you. So what we don't want to do is we don't want to connect our obedience or disobedience to specific things are happening in our lives. So we don't want to say, well, the reason that that person's child walked away from Jesus is because of this specific way that they parented them. Or we don't want to say that the reason that this person got cancer is because they didn't read their Bible every day. Or we don't want to say the reason that I've been relatively healthy and my kids or my family is, is doing well is because we've obeyed Jesus. Because that blessing for obedience is a spiritual blessing that um, it's getting to see God, getting to know him and, and experience him in all the different trials of life. Yeah, that's good. Let me end on on this one because I think this is a question that if you are not currently struggling with this, you absolutely will at some point. 
in your faith? What do you guys do to get yourselves out of a rut where you feel uh, that Jesus is distant? And what do you do to support friends and family who are in a rut and help them overcome it? Um, so I can, let me give a couple thoughts on that. Um, the, the first thing I would say is uh, your feelings are important, but they're not everything. And so don't assume that your feelings are in alignment with reality. So, so in that question, it says, what do I do when Jesus feels distant? Well, here's the reality is if you are in Christ, Jesus is not distant. He is the opposite of distant. He's living in you by his spirit and you are united with him. So the reason why I think that's significant is because I think we can tend to start with, I feel distant from God. And that can become in our minds, I am distant from God, or God is distant from me. Why is he distant? Well, he's not. He's with you. And so the answer is, is you, you fight your feelings that aren't true with truth that you see in scripture and with your history of how good God has been to you. Um, you remember all the ways that God has come through for you, and you remind yourself that he's present with you. And, and that, I think, I, I feel like that encompasses a lot of what my Christian life is like, is I feel and think things that aren't true. And I have this internal fight in myself where I try to believe and feel what is true based off of scripture and my experience with Jesus. Um, but along with that, I, you don't want to stay there forever. Like you do want to feel and experience God. There is an experiential part of following Jesus and you want to get back to that. And so for me, it's like, it's hammer away at spiritual disciplines. Just, and by that, I just mean ways to be with God consistently, even when I don't feel it. it. It's like the temptation will be to read my Bible less or pray less. And I actually need to read my Bible more and pray more until I start feeling things that are true and right. And so one thing I'm trying to put into my life right now is just extended periods of time just in the quiet. So I just get into a forest somewhere and I just walk around and look at creation and I say, Jesus, will you speak to me? And I just try and listen to his voice or I think about scripture or just enjoy being outside. And that helps me start to get out of the rut. Um, and what I would say for helping friends and family is be empathetic and remind them that God isn't distant from them, that he's close and just pray with them and fight for them. So anything you would add to that, Drew, or, or how, do you, how do you fight through the rut? Well, as you were talking, I thought of a book that I read about every year. It's called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And the interesting thing about Lloyd-Jones, he was a pastor in Great Britain um, last century, kind of 40s, 50s, 60s. And he was a doctor before he was a pastor. And so one of the chapters that you reminded me of is he talks about feelings um, there also could be sin in your life that you need to repent of. And so that's kind of one, one side of it, right? There's sin, and it's like Psalm 32, when David says, when he kept silent, it's like it was eating him up inside in his bones. He could feel in his bones, and, and we've experienced that before. And so then there's a real cause, and there's a real solution. You got to get get your sin off your chest. You got to confess it. You got to repent of it. But then on the other side of it, there's sort of a chapter that he has in this book um, about what you eat and how much you sleep. Hmm. 
And so there could also be physical causes to so-called spiritual depression. Like you might just need to change your eating habits or your exercise habits or um, the amount that you're sleeping. I know personally, um, I just have a very sensitive temperament. And so I need to go to bed at a certain time, get up at a certain time. I need to exercise. I need to eat reasonably healthy. And if I'm not doing those things, it doesn't matter what my spiritual disciplines look like. It's like my tank is not never full. And my wife has been really helpful because she'll just say, hey, I think you need to take a nap or, you know, I think you need to go on a walk. Like she, she suggests those kind of remedies um, for me because I think I can begin to be a little bit hyper spiritual about the answers to those questions. And I can begin to diagnose um, sort of a physical temperamental issue in a spiritual way. I mean, it could be that you need to get on depression medication, or it could be that you need to consult a physician. So as Christians, we don't just say, oh, you're feeling distant from God. Therefore, it has to be a sin or it has to be a spiritual disciplines problem. But we're also saying, no, we want to take in worldly wisdom as well and sort of check those boxes sometimes too. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, man. So sorry, we can't get to more of your questions, guys, but appreciate you engaging in the service. Um, let me finish out by just reading the end of the book of Jude over you. I love this sort of doxology at the end of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. You guys are loved. Have an awesome week.